Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. You are now listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk all things related to mental health, life lessons, and the culture. My goal is to help each and every listener pursue and center wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda, licensed clinical psychologist. Now let's get into it. Happy New Year, everybody. It is the very first Wednesday of the new year, y'all. I'm so happy that you have decided to tune into another episode of the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast. I have some amazing guests lined up for the entire year of 2022, and I'm just excited to have you here along with me in this journey. So without further ado, I want to jump into straight into just thanking you for listening. Thanking you for being a part of my story. Thanking you for leaving every review, every story post, um, any way that you've contributed to the growth and the progress of this podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you to every listener in, in Germany, every listener in the US, every listener in the UK and in India. And I believe we have France as well. Like this thing is literally out of the country. Like we have streamers from everywhere. And I couldn't have gotten here without, of course, Jesus and without you, you and you. And I appreciate that. So today is going to be very exciting because I have my girl who will be joining me. Listen, if you haven't heard of her directly, you've probably seen her work somewhere. She's the creator of Psychotherapy. She's contributed so much to different publications. She has so many books out there. You've probably seen her work on the Crown Act. And so I want y'all to give it up for my girl, Dr. Afia Mbalashaka. Dr. Afia, please join me. Dr. Afia, I'm so happy to have you here. You know, I'm super excited to be here with the one, the only Dr. Shonda. Girl, so I'm super excited. <laughs> no, I could be saying that about you. Like, like you're 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 major out here. Like you're you're a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me. Um, so much love and respect for you and the the contributions you have made to the field overall. Like it, it literally is like <laughs> so silly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I accept I accept the words of affirmation. That's my love language. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I love it. So so tell the people a little bit about yourself. Like, what do they need to know about Dr. Afia? Mm, what do you all need to know? Okay. One, I love all things Black people, <laughs> um, which that overall guides my work and my desire to help to heal. Um, and I love all things Black hair. Um, and actually have dedicated a new portion of my career to hair related things. So um, really how, how I 
marry my loves together um, to create my career and what guides my work yeah. and energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say like, I, I would argue that that is your God-given purpose. Like that's what you were put on this earth to do, like to merge those things. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I don't want to make any time specific things, but today is uh, <laughs> Nia <laughs> for Kwanzaa, yes. um, which means purpose. And so I took a long walk this morning, three miles um, around a lake and just was really thinking about what is my purpose and am I fulfilling it? The thing is, I feel like if I totally fulfill it, then I'll die. So yes. I know that I have more <laughs> yes, <sure. laughs> left um, to do, but to think about alignment. Um, so, so being purpose driven for sure. I I remember in college, I read the book, the purpose driven life, and it was like super life changing. And I remember thinking like, Oh, like this is how you create alignment and really, uh, ground yourself and like your very existence. How do I make my actions speak to who I am and why I'm here and how I'm a part of something much bigger and my unique contribution um, can help things to keep moving forward. You know, that's so interesting because I've literally like been thinking the same thing about mm. how, of course, like purpose and how we can kind of like allow our works to go beyond us. People who have never heard of a Dr. Shonda, I want them to be able to read a publication or a book years later about how like I contributed to the field or this theory that I developed, this theory, you know, you know that that is like how we we make change. That's how we make lasting change. And that's how we continue to fulfill our, our God-given purpose. Um, and so I appreciate that. And I, I honestly feel like you're doing it. Like, I really do. Like, even um, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they you you came up in conversation. They were like, oh, um, that's the person who did the Capitol Hill uh, Crown Act. That's the person who was on, doing the Crown Act. They didn't know your name, but they knew your work. And I think that speaks a lot to like, again, like that contribution and the passion that you have and you dedicating your life to that purpose. Wow. That, that, that makes me feel really good. Um, It makes me want to do more and go deeper. Mm. Right. In terms of, I think sometimes I'm conflicted as a mental health professional about how much to put out there about myself. Right. Cause there's this sort of veil that we're supposed to have privacy and not have everybody know our business, but I'm like, but kind of my business is what's supposed to be out there. Right. And so um, I'm glad that that I've been able to find a unique niche <laughs> to um, occupy yeah. relating hair and mental health and even public policy now. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. L- listen, I want to be like you when I grow up, um, <laughs> just putting that out there. Uh, because, like, seriously, like, but we, you know, I, I, I definitely admire you and like the those contributions and like the everything. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're listening to the audio, Dr. Fee is blushing so hard right now. I love it. I know you didn't you didn't even know black people could blush like this, but <laughs> it's coming through. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So um we we're definitely gonna continue to talk about your work in the field, especially as it relates to psychotherapy. And I I literally love that name. Uh, in our first segment, though, with Hot Off the Press. So that is our segment where we talk about the news. We talk about pop culture. We talk about wellness and how it relates to us as Black people and just really having conversation about that. So are we ready for Hot Off the Press? Yes, I'm ready. 
All right, let's go. So I'm going to read this article um, briefly. So it is about Insecure, an insecure ending. It says, after five seasons, Issa Rae's hit comedy series Insecure aired its final episode Sunday night. All of the characters fans have had watched the navigate, na- navigate love friendships in their characters in Los Angeles. Ended up in a, They ended up in a good place. The series finale took place. Uh, viewers on the the viewers were on an emotional journey as they saw Issa and their characters drive past her old apartment building in the dunes, uh, having love triangles and choosing Jay Ellis, which is Lawrence, and um, Lawrence and her heel and unbreakable friendship with Yvonne, or Regis character and Molly. And I am screwing this article all the way up, but they also like <laughs> shed a few tears with watching Molly. Y'all, transparency. My show notes are on the side of my computer, so it's just a little hard to read, but bear with me, y'all get the point. Uh, they also likely shed a few tears watching Molly tie the knot in her Oscar de la Renta wedding gown. Um, as the final episode debuted, Insecure cast members and fans took the social media to express their gratitude for their influential HBO show. Dr. Fia, what were your thoughts on the final episode? Can I talk about my feelings? <laughs> it, was all, yes. it was all feelings. I definitely was one of those people who cried at Molly's wedding. And it surprised me. It took me off guard because I I've never cried during an insecure episode ever. But it was something about her developing a secure attachment mm-hmm. with someone. Because I think, you know, in terms of very literal thinking about uh, Ainsworth and all these different psychologists for secure attachment versus insecure, I always think about the show in that way in terms of the anxious, the avoidant, the disorganized attachment styles mm-hmm. um, when it comes to relating to others. And I just felt like Molly's character had the greatest arc of the whole show. Um, and so not to say that a marriage means that someone no longer has relationship issues, but she really invested yeah. in herself. Like she invested, she, she was reflective, took feedback. She had been going to therapy from the beginning, but like really had to negotiate her parents' wellness and, um, planning and how to show up for people and how to receive support because I think that that's what happened this season that she was more open to receiving um and disclosing and uh getting yeah care yeah so I because of course I'm I I was totally team Lawrence I was from the beginning (laughs) I just had just felt like because I had okay I watched the last episode with my husband who had not seen season one two or three he watched four and five with me because those came out during the pandemic and he was sitting and watching but i had to explain to him why i was getting so hey there ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster oh you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you yeah or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about well get ready to feel that excitement all over again because amazon prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level absolutely Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. 
It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Emotional. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, you don't know in the beginning, things are real bad for Molly. So, <laughs> um, or even explain. I'm like, yeah, because Issa had cheated on Lawrence. He was like, he, she did. Like it was. He didn't have that context to understand yeah. the ending of the relationship or that Lawrence would be eating cereal on the couch all hours of the day to see how much he had grown yeah. and developed too. But yeah, it, it had me all in my feelings, all in my feelings. Right. Listen, me too. Like I, I always cry season finale. So I knew I was going to cry. Oh, uh, like this went like every time, Dr. Afia, anytime I watch a series finale, I can't watch them. Like the other day I was binging on family matters and <laughs> You get to the series finale episode, it's like, dang, like. Now, I never made it to the end of Family Matters because the Stefan Urkel versus Steve Urkel stuff was just going so far, I couldn't keep up. I'm like, he's Bruce Lee now. Like, I couldn't keep up with that machine. So I did not see the final episode of Family Matters, but I was there from the beginning doing the Urkel dance. (laughs) And uh, what was it, Urkelbot? I was scared to death of Urkelbot as a (laughs) kid. But you know, the, I would say the best episode of Family Matters ever was when he first became Stefan Urkel. I remember screaming <laughs> as a kid and like, ah, like it was so exciting that he had transformed. Maybe I just like the concept of transformation, and maybe that's what happened for maybe Molly and Lawrence as well. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. So like, so even in that in that concept of like transformation, we saw like each character transform, and I thought it was very significant that they didn't do this transformation in like their early twenties and mid twenties, but this was a transformation that came throughout, throughout life. And they finally got to that state of happiness in like early to mid thirties, maybe even late thirties. I don't know, but they were in their thirties. <laughs> the timeline was jumping around. Right. <laughs> it was a little confusing, but I loved it. Um, <laughs> what do you think was like the significance of that? Why was that important to include in the show? Mm. I, I think I think a big part is the investment of time. Um, I know that there are some people who are really frustrated with the timeline that happened, like in skipping things. They didn't show Molly's mother's funeral and all these different things. Like, how could you just skip over that and skip over that? But I'm like, but time, like that Mm -hmm. investment of time and really recognizing that it's not an overnight phenomenon that you transform, but it's this consistency, which I know even though I'm not in my early 30s or mid 30s even anymore, that that time investment can really do wonders when you are consistent in investing mm-hmm. in yourself and even investing in other people and your career and all of that. But like that, that yeah, it's a time factor. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really enjoyed it because like you said, people often get frustrated with the time associated with investing in yourself. And the time associated with maturing and growing in relationships. Mm. And we feel like we got to have it all together at a particular age. Ooh, like there's <laughs> urgency. Yes. Urgency. And I know as someone who has felt sort of behind in life at points, I'm going to say I, I have felt that way. Like, dang, where are my kids? Where's my house? Where's my whatever? <laughs> and so I think that um, even a show like that shows sort of this parallel process of it all comes in time, right? If you really yeah. invest in that way. I'm a believer in God's perfect timing. Like, mm. I don't want to do anything outside of that. Like, <laughs> outside you can't, of that. you can't, right? Right. Can't. <laughs> so, so my philosophy is I enjoyed watching Insecure because 
of course, while we saw the ups and downs, it made us cry, it made us angry in certain episodes, but we can relate to it. I find that this show, in my opinion, was anti-racist in its existence Mm. because it, it didn't focus on our collective trauma. It didn't allow Hollywood to really emphasize and highlight those aspects that other shows had in order to get a an audience or in order to, you know, just, you know, I don't want to call any shows names out because, you know, number one, they're not giving me a check for this podcast. Number two, um, <laughs> like we don't do free branding over here, but you know, it's just a matter of, there are lots of shows out there who really capitalize off of our collective pain, who capitalize off of our black trauma, um, who emphasize like community violence and, you know, your drugs, you know, all those things. But this show did not. This show allowed us to be, it allowed us to experience all, uh, just a, a wide range of emotions without discussing that. Like, yeah, you know. yeah I, I agree 100%. And it was extremely relatable in that way for people. And I want to, I don't know if this sounds bougie or not, but like us, um, because I, I was curious, I like, did, did it reach broad audiences, but I know every week for the past few weeks and even previously, my clients would bring up insecure episodes. Like some of them were really triggering, like the episode for, um, uh, I guess, but I'm going to call it fatherhood, mm-hmm. where, um, um, Lawrence was really having to navigate the role that he would take in his child's life yeah. with Condola. Um, and, but I work with a lot of single moms and them even navigating, like, there's a choice there. I don't have a choice or things like that. Um, or just even, I know I got triggered and I'm using triggered in terms of it elicited a lot of emotional response triggered by the first episode of this season of reunions because college reunions are a really interesting phenomenon because it it forces you to assess it forces you to assess your um progress um in terms of what you were able to achieve professionally Mm. or even like how you look different like it's just there's no way and even kelly navigating her uh death and she would describe it really gets people in it in an existential space right you know therapeutically that's very important for us to think about life death and everything in between and especially purpose and so I started thinking and I'm like what what have things been like for me since college in what ways have I tra- transformed emotionally or not um what ways am I I still need a lot of growth and to learn so yeah and I love that you recognize that yeah, like because we're I, personally, I feel as though we all should be in a state of changing, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody has ever reached perfection. Um, but when we have those blind spots, when we're not seeing those areas that need to change, that's when we stay stuck. So, yeah. Right. Right, Dr. Shonda, <laughs> doing a whole intervention on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you know, I have to ask. So, Issa Ray wore like so many different hairstyles throughout her seasons there, right? What were your thoughts on some of the natural hairstyles and like some of the things that she had displayed? Yeah, there there was a whole visual narrative yeah. of her hair in particular that I felt like it was a character in the show, like mm-hmm. legitimately um, <laughs> was a person um, that had their own storyline because I think her hair was reflective of her mood, identity sense of fashion, income, um, emo- yes. emotional and relationship status. 
And I just really want to give praise to Felicia Leatherwood for really working magic. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk with her at points and just her saying that it's not like she has some specific hairstyle that like, this is what we'll do today, but she really kind of goes within and listens to spirit to create with her hands. Like, and so that, that's why I think the hairstyles were so meaningful because it wasn't scripted. It was felt, it was felt like the sense, the (laughs) kinesthetic sensation Mm -hmm. of Issa Rae's hair spoke to (laughs) Felicia Leatherwood in that way to to create um, such unique styles and styles that are great for work for a downtime. So yeah, I, I I definitely think that um, hair was more vocal on this show than probably any other show. And tell me if I'm being mean or not. I'm not (laughs) trying to be mean, but season five, Molly's hair was the best it ever looked with the low cut. Like I'm like, yes. And I think that's why I loved her transformation in the arc of her character. Cause I'm like, those wigs just were not doing her beauty justice. And yeah. so just like the the part and everything, I'm like, whoo, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it, it takes a certain level of confidence to be able to, to want to wear your hair like that and to be able to like pull it off successfully. I know a lot of people who are just like, oh, I just don't have the confidence to wear short hair. So I just, you know, do X, Y, and Z. I think See, for me, my head is shaped weird. So. Yeah, and I, I don't think I, you know, there's it's too much going on in this area. So I don't think I would do that haircut. <laughs> but I think that really speaks to Molly's like transformation and her finding herself and her identity and building that level of confidence. You know, it, even though it's a haircut for a lot of people, I think that haircut personified a lot of things for her. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. This is a great place for us to transition into talking more about psychotherapy. So talk to us about like what started your passion and hair and psychology and how was like what was the birth of psychotherapy like how did you get to that point I'm, I'm glad you're calling it a birth because it was a whole pregnancy <laughs> and delivery um it. and I'm still caring for it right now so love it. um I always love doing hair I always love doing hair I would do hair at family cookouts in a lawn chair and have my little cousins come and I create all these styles lay their baby hairs it's the 90s I love and it. do all their hair <laughs> Um, and so that translated then to when I went to college that I would almost have these sort of pop-up salons in my dorm room. Now, you know, I never had any training or anything like that as a teenager, but I found that this was a way that I connected well with my community. So going to a predominantly white institution for college, there were only just a few speckles of black students, um, on campus and by doing people's hair was actually how I got to connect at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I developed a reputation like, oh, a fee of grades. And so like, it would be football players coming in. I got like street cred because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he got that touchdown because I've raided his hair. But, um, <laughs> and so, or every, any like formal or dance that yeah. I would be doing my friend's hair or just 
you know, for their birthday or something. Because I never charged anyone. Okay. I never, it was not a business. I just wanted to hang out and do hair. Um, and it was like art therapy. It was a creative time for me. And so I remember um, talking to my aunt Brenda on the phone one day. She's now an ancestor and telling her, um, when I graduate, should I study hair or keep studying psychology? And she said, well, why can't you do both? Now, I don't think she was advising me to do both at the same exact time, but that's the way I interpreted it. And in my college dorm room, I birthed psychotherapy and thought, hmm, I can do psychology and hair together. And so I did end up going on to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology at Howard because I wanted to go to like the blackest place. In my head, Howard was the blackest place to study psychology. And so I went there, got my PhD, got licensed as a psychologist, even got a tenure track position as a professor. And then I went to hair school. Then and people were like, what are you doing? That that's insane. Like you already have a private practice. <laughs> you have a research lab, you're teaching classes and you're going to do an internship at a salon and take classes and stuff and for free, like that I was doing all these people's hair for free. And I'm like, yeah, I felt like that was a more authentic way to engage with the black community mm-hmm. um, and healing. And so I I put my hours in. I had to do a hundred heads for free at the salon and courses, presentations. You know, I did well in my presentations. I got A's on (laughs) on my stuff in my paper. I'm like, (laughs) get this paper out. So I definitely did well for all those things. But um, really coming and making a business out of it didn't come till 2019. Okay. Where I officially developed a curriculum where I was training stylists and barbers and community members and educators, all that therapists in um, using hair as part of mental health first aid. Mm -hmm. So I go through an in-depth history of our hair. That's really what is healing to begin with, to really go through thousands of years of black hair history. Um, It includes um, going over how signs and symptoms of mental illness look within communities of color, right? Because, you know, we use the DSM for diagnoses, but it doesn't always look the same way for us. Mm -hmm. So using my experience as a licensed psychologist to kind of describe case studies and how to recognize and be empathic um, to various signs of mental illness. And then also um, sort of more applied skills of psychotherapy, which includes active listening, because yeah. that's the, the hardest part. I think for me, I don't know about for you, Dr. Shonda, becoming a therapist, I think the hardest part was learning how to listen. Yes. And it like it took years to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Recorded sessions and all of that feedback. So we actually, um, as part of the psychotherapy certification process, spent a lot of time on the active listening component in terms of really making sure people feel heard and understood um, and get feedback around that. Mm. Um, and even a part of the training is how to find a therapist and get someone to go to therapy because we've all been there where it's like, oh, you need therapy, but it's like, 
how do you actually get someone? And what's the difference between a psychiatrist, a counseling psychologist, someone with this ID, with PhD, and clinical site? Like we go through all of that so that people are clear about how to actually find um, professionals yeah. to to do the work as well. So that that was birth in 2019. I think the first training officially we did in Cuba, which was amazing. Amazing. At this mansion, we had a chef. Yeah. We were making cigars. Every okay, but um, now it's virtual, and I do have an in-person psychotherapy certification coming up in Brooklyn. Because mm. I don't know about you, Doctor Chanda, but Brooklyn—if you've been there, you know every other store is a braiding shop or <laughs> a barber shop. So I'm like, let me go to Brooklyn. Um, so I rented a whole mansion in Brooklyn to do this socially distance training. You, can you come? Okay, I would love for you to come (laughs) Um, to do the certification because it's open for everyone who wants to learn how to use hair as an entry point into mental health. Man, listen, you know, well, first of all, I think I told you during our first um, conversation, we have that in common. A lot of people don't know that I also went to hair school as well. And you're right, the training is very intense and sometimes very difficult. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about how like active listening is a major part of even being a stylist because black people that like, where do we come to be vulnerable? We come to our hairstylist, our nail techs, like our, you know, the church, like those are places, those are our safe havens where we feel like we can open up. We can talk freely about what's happening in the world. Ashay. Ashay. Yeah. yeah, That, that, that's our informal support system and network. So I really want to make sure that the people who are doing that mental health work are um, being supported um, and building skills, right? That maybe hair school didn't teach and to actually get uh, training from a clinical psychologist about doing this work. Exactly. I love that. I love that. And the fact that you're doing trainings in so many different areas, you know, it's amazing, but like you said, like those places like Brooklyn and I'm thinking other places in New York, like the Bronx, like all those places are, are, are meccas for like black hair. And I really love the fact that, you know, you're you're really taking this on the road. Uh, next stop, Atlanta. Like I, <laughs> I think like Atlanta, they need something like this because there's so many hairstylists in Atlanta. Okay. And yeah, right. 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 There. <laughs> But, you know, I, I really love this. So, so Dr. Fia, can you talk more about this correlation between Blackness and hair care? Like, what, what is that? What has been your research and findings in that? Yeah, well, well, it's ancient. It's ancient. Um, in traditional African societies from birth to death, hair has been critical to how we prepare our mind, body, and spirits to receive blessings. Hair has been such a part of Black politics and culture since mm-hmm. we've existed. And so to understand how hair can be used both for medicinal purposes and even poisonous and hurtful ones too. But um, understanding that stylists oftentimes have taken on a role of healer or advice giver. There's a um, Ghanaian proverb um, when your sister is your hairdresser, you need no mirror. Mm. And so it really speaks to how we need to trust um, <laughs> the people who are caring for us in our hair. Um, because to some degree, our hair is um, like an antenna. It can pick up on other people's energy. And in a lot of traditional African societies, um, hair is very spiritual, right? 
Hair is the highest point on our entire bodies Mm -hmm. and therefore the most connected to the divine. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, our hair tends to grow up. (laughs) And so going towards the heavens um, and connecting to energy in that way. And so to really use hair um, for healing purposes, uh, it's always been around. And so that's why I really, really love studying African history and hair because it's all, it's all out there. And so when I do my psychological research studies, I always have to give that framework or context of hair being healing, um, but only in this, you know, colonized um, uh, system has it been used to harm us. Hmm. Um, Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I study people's hair stories in particular. So um, I use a narrative methodology to study people's earliest memories of their hair, a low point or a turning point, and come up with themes and codes that explain really large psychological phenomena. Yeah. Right. We know we know what psychology is. It's the scientific study of behavior and mental processes. So basically, a lot of my research looks at what are are our hair behaviors? Mm-hmm. Why do we do those things and how do we feel about it? What are our thought processes? And so I've really been dissecting and unpacking um, what's going on internally for people that maybe we're just seeing externally when it mm-hmm. comes to hair. Wow, that is so so deep. And I know I'm going to have to have you back to talk more about this because like, <laughs> like the, the research that you've done is so profound. And even hearing you talk about like those high and low points of hair, um, it makes me reflect on mine. Like, what are, okay, so what are, what were some of the low points I had with hair? And I remember like, you know, being a kid, um, my, my twin sister and I, we both had like really long, thick, big hair growing up. And that wasn't like nobody, nobody was natural. We probably was like the only natural black girls. People had perms, they had relaxers. So we was, we was the eyeballs. Like, <laughs> and so I honestly, me and my sister, we didn't get comfortable with hair, wearing our natural hair until like maybe five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Like we, we've been natural most of our lives, but it wasn't something because of these, like the colonization and like these, these messages of hatred pertaining to black hair, even amongst black people. Um, how like that, that definitely can impact you and that uh, can impact confidence overall. And you know, what's so profound, like I've seen you do this. I've seen you do like narrative therapy with um, Jessica. I don't want to call her the, the girl. Jessica Brown. Yeah. Jessica Brown. Brown. Yes. Jessica Brown, who is well known for the, you know, the gorilla glue. I've seen you do this and it worked. Like it, it really had her kind of like talking about her experiences um yeah so it's amazing and I love the work you're doing thank you (laughs) thank you it's funny because you know as again as psychologists we're oftentimes not um exposing our work to other people because of issues of confidentiality and so um I recognize again we don't heal in isolation and we definitely can build off of each other and collaborate to get stronger as therapists so for you to witness that and to give me that feedback is really important for my growth and development as well. Yeah. And even hearing you say that, we're kind of like transitioning about how like us witnessing each other 
performing, like practicing therapy, it makes us stronger psychologists. I can say over the past few months, like I've became a stronger psychologist in my practice by working with you and our Black Women's Therapy Group. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. Same to you. Yeah. You know, our training model is to do everything by yourself, right? See all your clients by yourself. And so I know I've grown tremendously because I'm like, oh, Dr. Shonda, I wasn't even picking up on that. And that intervention you did was bomb. Like to witness in the moment, someone gather their observations and give someone feedback or direct someone to pay attention to something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, you are on it. And so, um, yeah, I, th- I think that that intersubjectivity is so needed and valuable especially for caring for Black people's mental health. Yes, yes. we're collectivistic. That's who we are as people. Like we are, we are not, we weren't ever intended to be individualistic. Um, it's very African for us to be communal um, and to be, you know, in groups amongst each other. And, you know, as we, you know, talking more about Black women's therapy and um, our Black women's therapy group, which we just launched in November, Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, yo. And it was just like a, first of all, when you came up with that idea, I think we were just like on a, a call and, you know, I was asking you some questions. We were like, well, let's do a group. <laughs> and I had no idea that we were going to impact the people that we did. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so why would you say like being in a black woman's therapy group is necessary for black women? Okay. Well, it's interesting because I know I was trained under, um, Yalom's teachings for um, group therapy. And in there, he talks about therapeutic factors. So he had recorded thousands of therapy hours for white people um, and came up with these techniques for group um, called therapeutic factors. And so the things that he lists and identifies that identified, I'm like, but I haven't seen that happen for us. Mm. So some of the therapeutic factors include universality. So recognizing like, oh, I'm going through that too. I'm not alone in this, Mm -hmm. how healing and therapeutic that is, or another therapeutic factor like catharsis, just getting it off your chest and like sharing your story for people who actually understand it. Um, There's things like Yalom talks about recapitulation of the family unit, which is basically we grew up in these family systems that really shaped our personalities to a fault at times. Mm -hmm. And to be able to express certain things to other people who are not your family, but who still care about you and who can support you can be extremely healing because wait, you're not going to criticize me for doing this. Like, and to get it out and really internally reorganize your own story, I think is really important. So that, that was my drive and motivation and what I think a benefit is to have those therapeutic factors that are rare um, actually come in a structured group for Black women specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What were some of your favorite parts of being in the Black Women's Therapy Group and facilitating it? I'm, I'm going to have to go with the hair themes. I'm going <laughs> to go without telling people stuff, but there are some quotable things that I can't quote in here, but in terms of even how hair was coming up in there. Not like we just spent sessions and sessions on hair, just one or two statements like about even getting a weave, like, like in terms of your to-do list, like, oh, I don't have time for that. 
<laughs> um, and the toll that sometimes hair care can can have if we don't um, have the time or energy yeah. uh, or community um, to get support in other areas. Yeah, I really like themes of just negotiating parents. And I think that comes up in therapy period, but there, there are some unique Black family dynamics yes. that are not in our textbooks as psychologists that I, I really appreciated and valued in um, to see the, the family both as protective and even hurtful. And I think that that theme came up a lot for, Absolutely. for our group members. And, you know, I, I think it made it that much more um, important to them, the fact that people can, that our group members can talk about a we freely talk about getting brave freely. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about that in a group where I'm not represented. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite part? What was your favorite part? Oh, man, I had so many, so many. Um, we talked about like so many different things, but I really loved how we would discuss like the, um, without going too much into detail, like, uh, example um examples from movies we would kind of like take characters from movies and kind of like <laughs> say they're you know we're embodying those characteristics um can I give an example you said okay okay all right <laughs> <laughs> so um there was a moment where you talked about I think it was the Queen Latifah and set it off yeah <laughs> But that's a that is a, a an example that probably only like black women, black people would get. And you're not going to hear that in a Yalom group. You're not going to hear yeah. that. Like There's going to be no Cleo. Was was that her name? No, Cleo. <laughs> that was her name. They're not going to make a Cleo reference. Yalom right. does not know who. <laughs> he probably knows Queen Latifah, but not Cleo in her her right. early uh, film career. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So like the fact that we can talk about like a Cleo or, you know, a set it off or whatever inside of these types of groups, I think it really debunks like these myths about therapy, about how like um, intimidating it can be or like uh, scary it can be, even though it can be for a lot of people at the same time, like we make it relatable because, you know, we're black women facilitating a group for black women. It's for us by us. And just to be clear that that was my intention in asking you to do the group with me. I experienced you as extremely relatable, especially to black women. And so I think that that's part of your purpose and mission too, to say like, we got PTSD too, like in terms (laughs) of um, doing it for, you know, the culture and recognizing that culture hugely impacts our healing processes, not just how we get sick, but our healing processes and to make um, therapy something that's not scary. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba but something that's required and um the best choice for yourself absolutely I love it I love it so so Dr. Rafia if you have a listener right now who is contemplating on whether or not they should join our black women's therapy group what would you tell them Mm, you want to you want to heal do you want to heal? (laughs) Can you make that a t-shirt? I know I always tell you things to put on (laughs) t-shirts But can you make that like, I will wear that. Do you want to heal? Like, <laughs> the choice becomes simple, right? Yeah. The choice is simple once you, you make that decision. 
this year I've been totally into the self-help books. And so I've been reading all types of, it was a rough one. It, and I, and um, there's someone named Louise Hay. And so she, she talks about um, how we really need to say it to ourselves that I'm willing to change. And wow. so are you willing to change? Because otherwise therapy is not that helpful. I'm going to be honest. If yeah. you are not willing to change, this might not be the time to, to start therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah, if you are completely resistant, like, but going into something, if you're willing to change, if you're willing to heal, then doing it with other people, I think, is amplifies the healing process, right? Because it's not just one therapist, one hour, but like, I think what happens with group therapy, we see how you interact with other people and can get feedback on that, notice patterns or themes, and then group members become co-therapists yes and get feedback and do interventions where um to have multiple people hear about what's happening in your life in a safe and sacred space mm-hmm. i think is different and unique compared to one-on-one one-on-one is great right you there's different levels of readiness but if you want like an intensified <laughs> therapeutic process i recommend group i love that because you know a lot of people don't realize how Yes, being with a psychologist on a one-on-one therapy session is amazing. At the same time, I'm one person. And there's really, it, it's a limit to tell, like what I can tell you in therapy and the interventions that I can provide. Having another therapist there, having another psychologist there with their conceptualization and your therapeutic modality is like narrative primarily. I'm primarily like CBT. So we're coming from different angles. Um, and then like the, uh, your other peers there, like supposed to be a, what Yalom calls a microcosm of society. It really helps you to kind of like learn how to navigate life. And you're taking those same skills and applying it outside that setting. So listen, if y'all are listening out there, you need this group in your life. Like yeah, it's none other. What other black therapy group is going on? And if it's going on, does it have two black psychologists? I don't know because it's only 5% of us in the entire world, but <laughs> like, Ooh unique yeah there's so much value and I guess that's what I really want to emphasize that this opportunity is valuable Mm -hmm. it's valuable and so we want to be able to add value to your life absolutely I love it well Dr. Afia I really do love and appreciate you thank you so much for coming to speak to the viewers at the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast um (laughs) yes it's a wrap, y'all. So listen, y'all, you have the power to create the emotions that you want to experience. And do me a favor. I want you to follow Dr. Afia. Make sure that you guys stay in contact with us. Ask us any questions. And we would love to have you in our next group. All right, y'all. Have a great day. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.